Hey folks, good to be together. Uh, tough stuff, eh? Really tough stuff. It's, uh, I met the guy when I was out in India a couple of years ago, and just one of the great team who are spearheading those church plants and those, you know, supporting the past. That, his role was to support pastors, support people on the coalface. And so it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a heartbreaking moment to, to lose someone. But we don't lose someone in the gospel. We, uh, it's interesting, after the resurrection, we stopped talking about death. We started talking about, they, you know, they fell asleep. The gospel, the Bible talks about they fell asleep. Or um, it talks about we will see them again. And, and the gospel gives us an incredible hope for not just this life, but for eternity. So um, we're going to turn to the Bible, and we're going to, as you know, we're working through a series looking at um, relationships. We've called it Relate. We're looking at the, the wisdom books in the center of the Bible. And today, this is a pretty tough subject, to be honest. Uh, I, I feel it is tough. I mean, I, I don't feel, I, I'm sure you might feel awkward sitting there, think how I must feel standing here talking about it, right? So if that's any comfort to you, we're all feeling awkward, okay? But, but whatever happens, whatever happens, uh, God forbid that we don't talk about the things that are touching our lives and potentially devastating our lives or potentially could devastate our lives. The Bible certainly doesn't avoid subjects. And, and as a church, we've got a commitment that if the Bible's going to talk about something, then we've got to talk about it. And so we, we don't want to hold anything back. We just want to let the Bible speak. And I understand as we're touching on these subjects today, some of you, some of you, you lost your marriage because of this subject. So it's very painful. So some of you have got so many regrets that you've never, ever brought into the light because of this subject. So I get, me too, I get that this is an incredibly painful subject. Uh, but hang with us. Hang through to the end. God is a gracious God. He wants to help us. He wants to speak to us. And the Bible brings life. Lord, I pray you'd speak to us. I open my heart to be used by you, God. I pray help us to hear Help me to speak. God be among us in power in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so I'm, I'm gonna, part of what I'll be doing today is I'll be giving you resources and sharing some statistics. Uh, you won't be able to get them all in this moment, so I encourage you to download the MP3 in retrospect. Listen again. But also Sammy, who's preaching across town, Sammy, location pastor here, preaching across town in Gorgie this morning, he's going to be sharing very honestly his journey with this whole struggle with uh, pornography. So I want you to download that message as well because he's going to be sh tackling the subject in a very different way to how I'm tackling it. Um, so my, web, my, my Twitter account is at, here it's here, at Pastor Pete underscore. So if you want additional links uh, to statistics and to quotations, they're going to be up there this afternoon. So watch that space. Okay, so in the last one week, who's been thinking about cars in the last week? Okay, yeah. Who's been thinking about oh, um, the, the Minions movie? Who's been thinking about the Minions movie? Yeah, me too. I've been thinking about that. Okay, who in the last week's been thinking about their Bibles? Yeah? Okay, so we're, we're starting to widen the gap. You're very spiritual. In the last week, how many of you have been thinking about sex? Now, don't put your hands up, right? <laughs> I could guarantee you in that moment, in fact, forget the last week, in the last 20 minutes, you went to be worshiping, right? In the last, okay, in the last hours, certainly the last 24 hours, I guarantee you every single one of you in some way will have thought about sex. Um, so for us not to talk about such subjects in the, in the church uh, would be dreadful. Now, this isn't going to be the sex talk for how to have great sex. That's coming uh, in a few weeks' time. We're going to be talking about in marriage, how you have great sex, and the Bible's got fantastic advice about that. Um, we're going to be talking about lust, and, and specifically an, an application of lust in our culture is pornography. Now, religion has done a very bad job of presenting what the Bible thinks on this subject. So here's kind of how it goes with religion. That's, this is not us. This is how religion views it. Religion views sex as dirty, nasty, rotten, and vile. So save it for the one you love. <laughs> That's how religion sees it. Um, in fact, down through the history of, uh, of, of religiousness, you have Christian leaders saying the wrong thing. So you have Tertullian and Ambrose, and they said that they prefer the extinction of the human race than continual sexual intercourse. Great Christian leaders. Oregon was so convinced about the evils of sexual pleasure that he went ahead and castrated himself to stop himself having 
temptations. Later in life, he realized it didn't actually help. That's a bad mistake to make. Jerome often threw himself into bramble bushes whenever he caught himself desiring women sexually. Yeah? So we're going to be, as you're leaving today, we're going to be issuing you guys especially with uh, bramble bushes that you can hit yourself with. Augustine, uh, who was very sexually active prior to coming to faith in Christ, he decided that sex within marriage was not sinful, but lust and passion associated with it was sinful. I mean, that's like saying, go have a swim, but whatever happens, don't get wet. I mean, that just is not going to work. The Catholic Church uh, in the Middle Ages viewed sex within and outside of marriage as evil. By the 5th century, uh, priests were forbidden to marry, and the church began limiting days in which people, couples could have sex. So they, they limited it, to, and they, they, they kind of limited to certain days that were appropriate in God's sight, apparently. And uh, it got down to about half the year in which sex was prohibited. Um, and again, as you leave today, we'll be issuing with calendars uh, to make sure you can stay within the confines. Thomas Aquinas taught that sex was only for the purpose of procreation. Okay, that's stuff. And some of those were good guys. Augustine's a good guy, but not always getting it right. But the Bible always gets it right, because the Bible is the Word of God. And what the Bible presents is a very different view of sex and sexuality. First of all, we see that God created sex. It was God who did that. Like after creating Adam and Eve, and he's sitting in heaven looking down, he's thinking, no, what are they doing? What are they doing? You know, he wasn't freaking out thinking, oh no, what are they, what are they doing? Right? He was okay with that. He had created them that way. Um, the woman's body, the, the clitoris in the woman's uh, reproductive system, the clitoris only has one function, only one function. The only function of the clitoris is orgasm. Evolution cannot justify the existence of the clitoris. It can't. Evolution would say that we evolved because of survival of the fit. There's no justification for the clitoris. Only the existence of a God who intended marriage and sex and sex to be fun would have invented that. So God, by far from being against sex, he made it amazing. There's a book in the Bible, Song of Solomon, which we'll be dipping in and out of as we go through these talks. Uh, Song of Solomon is a book that's basically all about sexual pleasure. And there is no mention of kids in the book. There's no mention of having kids in the book. That's God's view on things. God is into having kids. He's, he wants us to procreate, absolutely. But that's only one of the purposes of sex. In the Song of Solomon, there's a lot of talk about it. And it was about developing oneness and expressing passion and love. And in the Song of Solomon, you see uh, a couple stripping each other, a, 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 admiring each other's body, fondling each other, touching body parts, a whole lot of foreplay, as well as the ultimate act of sex and intimacy. It's all in the Song of Solomon. And it's not done in a crass way. God does it in a poetry way. Because he, he, unlike pornography, pornography exposes everything. God describes acts which are incredibly erotic and incredibly passionate, and yet he does it in a poetical way in order to beautify it rather than to pornify it. And that's what the Song of Solomon does. There is not one verse in the Bible that says that sex is a sin. Not one verse. Now, there are many verses that talk about the misuse of sex being a sin, but there's not one verse in the Bible that talks about sex being a sin. And the problem we've got is that many people in religious circles, some parents talking to their kids, some sometimes church leaders talking to congregations, will take the verses about the misuse of sex and teach it about sex. And what that does is incredibly dangerous because then people get the impression that sex is a negative thing, but actually they're totally missing the point. God created sex to be fun and fantastic, and the misuse of it is, is deadly. So, today we're going to be specifically looking at lust and pornography. We're going to be starting off in Proverbs, written by Solomon. Now, Solomon had, he got it right sometimes, but later in his life he messed up sexually, big style. What's interesting is Solomon's dad, David, and Solomon's mum, Bathsheba, Solomon's mom and dad, they started their relationship because of an affair, a murderous affair. You read uh, the Old Testament books, you, you will see 
a kind of dark moment in King David's life where he had this affair with this woman Bathsheba. And one of the results of that was Solomon was born, who amazingly, in God's incredible grace, became the king. And then the whole family line of kings were there until Jesus Christ himself came. Isn't that incredible? That in the middle of the mess of sinful humanity, the Savior, the ultimate Savior of the world comes. That's incredible. And that, that encourages you because you have messed up. I have messed up sexually. But God, as we turn our sexuality over to God, God can redeem things and turn things around for the good. So here's what Solomon says. I'm going to jump across three chapters and, and read it in a one Solomon 5, uh, sorry, Proverbs chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7, excerpts from each of those. Uh, Solomon, speaking about the, the kind of adulterous woman, he describes her in this way. Keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. So just, just a great bit of advice to start with. Just stay away from, way, way, way from the door. Don't go near and look in or listen. Just stay well clear. In other words, don't even out of intrigue go near pornography. Don't even out of intrigue go near places where you know you might get an opportunity to experiment sexually. Just stay well clear from the door. Do not desire her beauty in your heart. Do not let her capture you with her eyelids. It's a, it's a very strong language there, but it's, it's describing what can... The truth is this, sex starts on the inside rather than on the outside. And that desiring someone's beauty in your heart, there is nothing wrong with admiring someone's beauty, but as soon as you flip into desiring that person, uh, as we'll look at in a moment, all of a sudden you're moving into dangerous territory. For on the count of a harlot, one is reduced to a loaf of bread. <laughs> That's a great quote, isn't it? Right? You, yeah, I don't know what that means, but anyway... It's, it's an interesting picture. I don't think it's positive. I don't think it's positive. Okay, that's what I'm guessing. And an adulteress hunts for precious life. Now, this is, again, this is Solomon writing, so obviously he's writing about women, but I just want to make this clear. This equally applies to men. So it's not like, oh, women are the baddies, guys, be careful, right? It's not saying that. It's saying that this whole approach to sexuality is dangerous. <clears throat> Do not let your hearts turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths, for many are the victims she has cast down, and numerous are her slain. Her house is the way of Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. Whoa, that's strong. That's really strong. It's saying that, yeah, she's a hot girl. She's as hot as hell. You'll end up going, hell, you'll end up being ruined. This will ruin your life. That's what it's saying. It's saying, I, I understand that and this is the lie of sexual sin. It says, come have these pleasures, enjoy yourself. But what you don't realize is it's the way of death. And people who have given themselves hook, line, and sinker to sexual sin will testify always, every single time, to the ruin and misery that something great has brought in their lives. Every time. And the pastor of a church, church, best part of a thousand people, mostly in the 20s, 30s, and 40-year-old and I've been doing this for 17 years. I have seen life after life after life ruins through the misuse of sex. So I appeal to you, let's do this God's way. Now what you see here is this picture of a person who in his naiveness has gone near the prostitute's house and ended up being totally ruined by it. And that's what Pro Song of Solomon, sorry, Proverbs here is describing. These days, it doesn't go that way. Even, even 20 years ago, it might have gone that way. You had dodgy old guys with trench coats going down little dark alleys at night, going to CD cinemas, going into news agents, kind of going to the news, you know, looking in the top shelf to get their porn magazines. That's how it used to go. But that's no longer how it goes. Instead, these days, it's coming to you, coming to you all the time. In fact, what used to be considered pornography, we now considered standard advertising whether it's advertising cars or hair products or the, the, the eroticness of the pictures we're continually being exposed to in the sex-saturated society has affected our minds, big style, whether you wanted it to or not. We're in a pornified society. And so you don't have to go like the trench coat on and, and all that. And only the boldest of sinners would have done that in those days. And yet today... The bar has been totally lowered. It's now completely accessible on your phone in your pocket or on your laptop. 
or on your televisions late at night. Pornography is now available. And this is what makes pornography so dangerous. Three A's of pornography. Accessibility, anonymity, and affordability. It's completely accessible. You are utterly anonymous while using pornography. It's not like the olden days when you might have been caught in your dodgy trench coat. You won't be seen now. You might look like a businessman in a suit. You might look like a a house mum who's dissatisfied with her sex life and therefore she's looking at porn. You might look like a kid coming home from school early when the parents aren't there and on the computer. You don't look like the dodgy guy with the trench coat anymore. It is accessible and you're utterly anonymous and it's affordable. And yes, there is pornography that you pay for, but most pornography is available for absolute free. And it does make money through advertising. You're just one mouse click away from some of the most powerfully strong and dangerous images known to man, just one mouse click away. And that's the world we're living in. Job, uh, speaking in Job chapter 31, describes his commitment. And I want us to have this commitment. He says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. Now, not all of you agree with that. Statistically, according to Barna Research, 38% of adults believe it's completely morally acceptable to look at pictures of nudity and sexually explicit images and sexually explicit behavior online. They believe it's completely morally okay to do that, 38% of adults. So potentially, 38% of you folks think it's morally okay just to look at uh, erotic pictures. 59% of adults believe it's morally acceptable to have sexual thoughts So the majority of adults, whether in this room or in society, don't believe what the Bible's saying here. The majority of adults believe that it's actually morally acceptable to entertain fantasy thoughts. Now, you know, that might be your stance. My hope is, as we journey uh, through this message, is that I can, by God's grace, help you see something entirely different. See the dark side of what's going on in your soul and how that kind of lifestyle will utterly damage your life and those around you. It says in Matthew 5, this is what Jesus says. So society treats sex and lust and pornography lightly. Here's how Jesus treats it. Jesus, who is none other than God. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 27. You've heard that it is said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The word looks in the Greek language, is a present participle. In other words, it's not just a glance. It's a looking and lingering look. Someone asked, well, what's the difference between seeing someone and lusting? And someone said, well, about two seconds. (laughs) Some people say, okay, it's the second look. It's the, oh, they look nice, to uh, I'm going to go back and entertain myself by looking. And this is more a guy problem than a girl problem, yeah? but it is also a girl problem. What Jesus is teaching us in these verses is that who you are on the inside is who you are. Say that with me. Who you are on the inside is who you are. That's how God sees this. So what Jesus says is adultery, whether you do it on the outside or not. Because according to Jesus, who you are on the inside is who you are. You shouldn't do with someone in your mind what you would not do with them on the outside. That's what Jesus is teaching. And here's what he does. He takes it from being someone else's problem to being everybody's problem. That's what he's just done in that verse. Because when Jesus says, you've heard that it says you shall not commit adultery, in that society, just like in this society, we we can think of people, okay, they committed adultery. Maybe someone in this room, you've committed adultery. Or maybe someone you know, or... And, and, and it's, it's, not as, it's not like everyone, right? But as soon as Jesus said, but I say to you, even if you look with lust, you've committed adultery. All of a sudden, what has he done? Instead of making the problem someone else's problem, he has made the problem right there, every single person on planet Earth's problem. Bear in mind he's speaking to us though. So he's all of a sudden made, instead of being someone else's problem, he's made it our problem. But bear in mind who's speaking to you here. Who is speaking to you here? Jesus. Who is Jesus? Jesus is our Redeemer. 
So in one moment, he has just declared us all guilty of adultery. But as we know, not long after this, he was crucified for our adulteries. He was crucified for our sins. So he's not doing this to make you feel the worst wretch in the world. He's doing this to make you realize you have a disease. And then he dies on the cross to give you the answer to the ultimate disease, sin. Jesus died to save you. Peter, 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the adulterers, for the unrighteous, for the pornographers, for the perverts. Jesus Christ died to take all your sin. So, just for a moment, you cannot for one moment assume that Jesus agrees with 60% of our culture, which says it's okay just to entertain erotic fantasies. Jesus utterly disagrees. Not just did he say that that accounts to adultery, but he went on to die. God dies on a cross to take away that sin. So you can't say it's not important. Very serious. Okay, let me give you some statistics. 70% of men visit visited a pornographic site in a typical month. Just this month, 70% of men in Edinburgh visited porn. 20% of those seeking help for sexual addiction are women. 36% of 18 to 30-year-olds view porn daily. 36%. Okay, let's talk about Christian people. Church-going people, folks like us. 64% of Christian men and 15% of Christian women would say that they watch porn at least once a month. So is this subject in any way relevant for us in this room? Absolutely. One in five mobile searches on your smartphones are for pornography. And the statistic isn't here, but the other statistics tell you that about 70% of pornography viewing happens during 9 to 5. No wonder the economy is having some difficulties here. (laughs) I'm serious. There is only one industry that's doing well from that. So what's my journey? Well, my journey is, I've I've kind of alluded to this kind of stuff before. I'll say a little bit more this time. When I was, I I remember in primary one being deeply lustful, probably before that, but my earliest memories were in primary one. I remember lusting after my teacher. I remember having sexual experiences with several others who were in primary one. That was my experience from that age. And that just continued as I grew up. When I became a teenager, I was, I was horny. I was pursuing sexual experiences. Girlfriends were purely a means to an end of sexual pleasure. I wasn't treating them as, as women with dignity. I was treating them as, as objects of desire. And my agenda was always to see how far I could go with them. And that was me, but also that was my mates. And I guess you become like those you're hanging out with, and that happened both ways. As a result of that, I remember masturbation became a massive issue in my life. And at the time, it wasn't an issue. But it was a regular, consistent thing, almost daily, if not always daily. And I, was, I got to the point where I became a Christian at age 15, and I wanted to be free from masturbation. All of a sudden, something that had just been a part of my life, I didn't want to be part of my life anymore. I'm going to share with you now the weirdest testimony you have ever heard in your lives. It's not like Oregon's testimony, praise the Lord. <laughs> you remember that from earlier. Okay. But this, this, this is an incredible, I mean, this is weird, but, it, but it's true. So I'll share it. So I, I was saved when I was 15 years old, and I was, having become a Christian, I still was struggling to overcome an addiction, I would say, to masturbation. And I, I wasn't in a church that baptized people, but I found in the Bible that the Bible talks about getting baptized. So I, I found a church in a village nearby that did baptisms, and I went just out of obedience to the Bible, and I got myself baptized. From that day forwards, for about an eight-month period, I could no longer have an erection. That's weird. But from my baptism for the next eight months, I was physically incapable of having an erection. Now, I praise the Lord, that changed after eight months, okay? As my wife also praises the Lord. 
But he literally drew a line in the sands on an addiction at the point of my baptism. Now, I'm not saying your solution will be get baptized, although every, every believer should get baptized. I'm just being really honest there, and it's a very weird testimony. I wonder why I haven't shared that one before. Uh-huh. God literally, and not only did, could I not take an erection for it, not even in your sleep, nothing like that. And for guys, you'll understand, that's, that's a rarity. Um, but also the desire was withdrawn. It was like something I had ignited, God disignited over an eight-month period. It was a miracle of God. And that was my story. Pornography for me, when I was eight years old, I first viewed pornography. And by the way, that is the average age of first viewing of pornography. That's not on, that today, currently parents, that is the current average age for first viewing of pornography. I was eight years old, and it wasn't online, that didn't exist then. It was in the woods when I was with my friends playing in the woods. We came across this whole stash of pornography in the woods. And it affected me big style. And then I remember seeing pornography when I was fishing. And, you know, there it's there. I was trying to concentrate on fishing, but there it's all there. And then I remember seeing pornography. My friend, my friend had a stash of pornography in his caravan, and, he, and we devoured that stuff. And I can still to this day remember the images imprinted in my mind. And if I was to ask for a show of hands, but I'm not going to. When you first saw pornography, I assure you, you can most likely remember the images you first saw, even though they were years ago. They had such an impact on your soul. And it warps your view, and it certainly warped my view of women. It warped my view of how to treat women. It warped my view of sex. It warped my view of ex- sexual expectations. And if I, by God's grace, he saved me, but if I hadn't, by his help, overcome those things, it would have ruined my marriage, and I would be a dad who would be hooked, and I'd be ruining my kids' lives. So I believe in the strength of this stuff, and I know the strength of this stuff firsthand, And I'm appealing to you not to justify the sin, but to expose the sin and come into the light. Let me give you six dangers of pornography. Then I'll move on to talk about how you can overcome addiction, sexual addiction in various ways. Six dangers of pornography. Number one, it creates dissatisfaction. I had had a guy, a wonderful guy in the church, still good friends with him. And he he was, he's he's no longer in this church now. He's he's moved away, so you all won't know him. and he came to me one day and he said, Peter, I need to talk to you about something I'm going through. And he confessed to me that he was struggling with pornography. And his pornography addiction was on late night television. And what happened was he came across it first on late night television while channel hopping. And then he paid a subscription. And he told me that you can pay the subscription and it doesn't show up in your bank statement. It doesn't have any tag. It's a number. So it keeps it anonymous so that your wife won't wonder what it is. So he's paid the subscription, and he found himself day in, day out, addicted to hardcore television porn. It dramatically impacted him. So he came and confessed that, and that was great. And for a while, he was doing fantastic. But then he slipped away from God, and he ended back, up, back in that situation. This is a married man. And back in the situation again, and here's what happens. He left his wife for an ex-girlfriend's. don't don't think that in any way isn't connected. It's 100% connected. Because what pornography does, it will tell you the lie, and this is what people buy, that the grass is somehow greener on the other side, that that will be better. And it's just a lie. Hollywood should make you understand it's a lie. In Hollywood, you have hot people marrying, and then remarrying, and then remarrying, and then remarrying. They got the best that was on offer. They believed the lie and went for someone else they thought was better. Pornography and lust causes you to believe the lie that the grass is greener on the other side. And the grass is not greener on the other side. The grass is greener where it's watered. So by God's grace, don't believe that lie. Second danger of porn is this. Well, it's dangerous. I really mean that. It's actually dangerous. We've had two big headline movies recently. Mad Max and Fifty Shades of Grey. And they're utterly contrasting to each other. Mad Max was about freeing people from sexual slavery. Great movie. Fifty Shades of Grey was about, I haven't seen it, verging on celebrating sexual slavery. Where this woman gives herself to being a sexual slave to this guy who was justifying his behavior. The author of Fifty Shades of Grey Erica Lennon, uh, she has sold now 
100 million copies of her book, Fifty Shades of Grey, which is more than Harry Potter. Erica Lennon, who wrote the book, said that she herself, it's not just the title of her book, but it's her philosophy in life. Her philosophy in life is that life is shades of grey. That's her philosophy in life. In fact, in an interview, she said that life is shades of grey, and I always get scared around people who are black and white. She seems to be very black and white about that point. But the truth is this. While that movie somehow profiled sexual slavery, here's the fact. There are more sexual slaves today on planet Earth than there have been at any other time in human history. There are hundreds of sex slaves in Edinburgh. That's the truth. And pornography is supporting that industry. Question, why are there more sex slaves around today than any other point in history? Think about it. Why is that the case? Why would it be? Here's why. Because there's more demand for it today than there ever has been. Fact, yeah, agreed. Okay, next question. Why is there more demand for it today than at any other point in history? Okay, here's why. Because that wretched pornography has made sex such an explicit thing in people's faces has stirred this desire for that, which is fueling an industry which is enslaving predominantly women but also men. That's how dark this stuff is. Now, you might think, but I don't support the industry. Well, listen, if you look on pornography, you are supporting that industry. And you might say, well, I don't give my card details. I don't care if you give your card details. Every time you click on one of those sites, the sites get money from advertising. And the advertisers advertise there because of click-through rates. So they are attracted to those sites and advertise on those sites because people click on those sites. Every time you click on one of those sites, you're promoting an industry that is ruining girls and boys and young men and young women's lives all around the world. You do some of your own homework if you don't believe me. In Glasgow and Edinburgh, in fact, Edinburgh's tops. Glasgow and Edinburgh, about one in every 500 people in Edinburgh are involved in the prostitution industry. 500,000 people, over about 1,100 prostitutes, mostly working indoors. And you read some of their stories. I've read articles and blogs about this. And these are women who are used and abused. Often occult is involved, fear-mongering is involved, threats are there. And they're slaves not because they've got chains on or behind bars. They're slaves because of what's been put in their heads by those people, those pimps, who are holding them in slavery. This is a dark area of our city, but potentially it's a dark area of your life. Covenant Eyes, and I'll talk about that a little bit later, Covenant Eyes, great organization, they say that 88% of scenes in pornography contain acts of physical aggression. Dr. Miriam Layden, a psychologist, did a study with uh, the University of Pennsylvania, and she said that in all her years of counseling on violence and sexuality, that in every single case of violence against women, every single time, pornography was behind the scenes in that man's life. So porn is dangerous. Number three, porn kills relationships. John Mayer, famous, well-known musician, many of you know him, travels the world. His girlfriends have been some of the uh, hottest women in uh, women celebrities, and you can imagine. And he did an interview with Playboy. And in an interview with Playboy, he essentially said, I am now so addicted to pornography that I prefer pornography to a relationship with a woman. In other words, men and women are finding all the satisfaction they need behind the scenes. And, it, and so when they come across the real thing, it's not as good as what they were experiencing in their fantasy worlds. And also they, they're almost finding their needs being met there. And that's also the same often with masturbation, that even masturbation and marriage, even if there's no pornography involved, you're finding your sexual desires and appetites satisfied away from the way God intended to be satisfied, i.e. awesome sex with your wife or with your husband's. And you know what? It does kill relationships. Many dads who struggle with pornography, they will say that when their teenage daughters became teenagers, 
all of a sudden they found it hard to relate to them. Almost because of the shame. They couldn't, have, they couldn't sit beside them on a sofa. They'd be cautious around their friends. I'm not saying they did anything seedy, although that does happen. I'm just saying it killed the relationship. If your husband or your wife is disconnected from you emotionally, seems distant from you on a regular basis, that sometimes, commonly, is a symptom that there's a pornography use going on behind the scenes. So be aware of these symptoms. Josh McDowell said this, that 67% of all divorces are directly related to pornography. 67%. Number four, porn is idolatry. You see, beauty should point us to God. When you see a beautiful mountain, you should say, glory to God. When you see a beautiful person, you should say, glory to God. When you see something beautiful in this world, a flower or something incredible and beautiful, whether it's a person or a thing or something, anything that God has created, it should result in worship to God. But what the Bible says is what we have done is we've warped that. And it says in Romans chapter 1, verse 25, that they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. In other words, beauty was always meant to be a means to an end, worshiping God. But beauty has become for many people a means, an end in itself, that it's become where they stop. That's what they adore and worship. And there are two kinds of people on planet Earth. There are those who worship the creator and there are those who worship the creation. And that's the only type of people on planet Earth. And what you find in pornography is that actually what's happening is you're idolizing another human being and you're worshiping them whether you realize or you would never maybe admit to call it that, but you have a religion going on and you're finding your satisfaction in something other than in God himself in whom you can truly find fulfillment and satisfaction. Colossians 3 verse 5, Paul says, sexual immorality impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. See that? He didn't say wooden statues, images of Buddha, pictures on a wall. He says sexual immorality. And he lists all these internal desires and issues. And according to Paul, that is idolatry. Every time you look at porn, you are worshiping. And the only way to change your behavior is change what you worship. And we'll come to the solution to pornography in a minute, but that is the solution. The only way to change your behavior is change your worship. Number five, give me a hallelujah to ease the tension in the room. Hallelujah. Okay, I don't know if it works, but anyway, we'll keep going. Number five, porn objectifies people. In other words, it makes them from people with souls who have value into objects of desire that are purely there to satisfy your own gratification. There was a lady called uh, Norma Jean who spent much of her childhood in foster care, in and out of foster homes. Eight years old, in one of the homes that she was living in, a lodger who was staying there when she was eight raped her. This is in America. And the lodger gave her a nickel and says, there's a nickel. Don't tell anyone what I did to you. But she did. She went and told the lady who was fostering her what this guy had done to her. And the lady who was fostering her beat her and said, he pays good rent money. Don't you go making those things up about him. Anyway, she, as she grew up, she was a pretty girl. And she started appreciating the wolf whistles and the attention that guys were giving her. And as she, as she grew up, uh, she decided that she was going to go into acting. So she went to Hollywood, and she was given a stage name, Marilyn Monroe. And Marilyn Monroe, the producers, decided that Marilyn Monroe was going to become the greatest sex symbol of her generation. In fact, in 1953, in the first edition of Playboy, Marilyn Monroe was the front page of the first edition of Playboy, which burst an industry, by the way, 
that industry that we're talking about today. She was on the front cover of that, the birthing of an industry. Despite the apparent success, she went through three marriages. This so-called goddess of love wasn't experiencing much love. And when she was, tragically, when she was 35 years old, one Saturday night, Marilyn Monroe took her own life. She was found dead the next day by a housemaid, and she was lying dead with the phone off the hook. And as detectives did the research, they found that she'd called a fellow actor in Hollywood and told the fellow actor that I've taken so many sleeping tablets, it would kill a horse. And the fellow actor says, I don't care. I don't care. So the last thing she heard on planet Earth was, I don't care. And here you have Marilyn Monroe, the goddess, the love goddess who never experienced love. Now all of a sudden, she goes from being an image in the front of Playboy, right? To all of a sudden being a human being who you feel compassion for and your heart breaks because you long that she would have known God's love, right? And it's exactly the same with all pornography or whether it's pornography or whether it's a woman who passes it or a guy who passes on the street. You're, if you're viewing them purely for your own pleasure and your own satisfaction, you're viewing them as objects, as products to be used and abused. Whereas God's created them in his image. You know, that 20 years ago, models in pornography on average weighed about 8% less than average women. Today, models in pornography weigh on average 23% less than average women do in society. Female models in pornography represent only 2% of the weight of the female population. That is how unreal what has been presented to us is. They're presented as these objects, these ideals, which are unreal. There's a man called Gene McConnell who did a, a very strong talk in, in a website called the Veritas Forum. Veritas is Latin for truth. It's a brilliant forum with lots of apologetics and speakers. And Gene McConnell uh, had a, a several-year-long, I mean, decades-long uh, pornography and lusts and sexual addiction. He, he first saw pornography when he was about 12 years old, and it, this, this became a mounting thing in his life until eventually he raped someone when he was in his late 20s, and he was sent to prison for rape. Having been released from prison as a married man, his daughter was now 16 years old, and one night, his daughter came home from a night out with her boyfriends. She ran in the door with a blackened eye, her clothes were ripped, and she said, Daddy, just raped me. Jean McConnell was so furious, he ran out the door to see the boyfriend screaming away in his car. He chased him as hard as he could, but he couldn't catch up with him. And he, and he said in retrospect, if he'd caught him, he'd have broken his neck. And he came home, and at the house, the daughter was on the sofa, and she was crying. And he sat down beside her, and she was crying. He said, Dad, I kept saying, I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't want it. But he kept after it. He kept after it. So eventually, I gave in. And Jim McConnell was sitting there saying, how could anyone do this to my daughter? And for the first time, he heard God clearly speak to him and says, you've been doing this to my daughters for years. And the truth is that every woman in pornography is somebody's daughter. Every guy in pornography is somebody's son. This is about abusing human beings who are created in God's image, never to be seen as objects. And our Savior Jesus Christ, here's what he did. He hung out with people in the sex industry all the time, to the point where he got a bad name. He was the friend of prostitutes. That was, that was the kind of, the people mocked him by that. If God was going to come into the world and live a life among people, who would he hang out with? Well, Jesus hung out with prostitutes. He hung out with a, a sex addict at well. He was there when a woman washed his feet who was a, a notorious woman from the town. And that was Jesus Christ. The sixth thing I want to say is this, that porn is addictive. Um, another member of the church describes one night going home. He'd become a Christian. He'd walked free from his past. He'd become a Christian. He was cycling home on his bike, and he looked, and there at the side of the road was a picture from pornography, and he was affected. He went back and saw it again. Then he went on his bike straight to an ex-girlfriend's house, had sex with her that night, and ended up back on drugs 
and a whole cascade of negative events which she still has not recovered from. It is incredibly addictive. Pornography literally alters the chemistry of your brain. It changes you. Here's research from a, a, a person called William Struthers, a Christian bio, biopsychologist, and he said he wrote a book called Wired for Intimacy, and here's what he said. He said that as people fall deeper into the mental habit of fixating on it, these images, the exposure to them creates neural pathways, like a path is created in the woods with each successive hiker. So do the neural pathways set the course for the next time the erotic image is viewed. Over time, these neural paths become wider as they are repeatedly traveled with each exposure to pornography. They become ruts in the brain. They become the way of the brain now is conditioned to finding pleasure by going down that route. It is identical. Psychologists will tell you this. It is identical to the, the way the brain is affected after heroin and cocaine use. Identical. That these roots, these pathways are that strong that the brain knows that's where it gets satisfaction from. And like with heroin and cocaine addiction, you've got to have the next bigger high. The last high wasn't good enough. You need the next high. So the images go from soft porn to harder porn to hardcore porn, to bisexual porn, to aggressive porn. And this is exactly how it goes. For those of you who have experienced pornography addiction or are experiencing pornography addiction, People end up looking at things that they never dreamt they would ever go to, and yet they end up there. Why? Because it's like heroin. The same amount isn't strong enough anymore. They need stronger. Because that's how the brain is conditioned. They've, they've actually abused part of the brain which is meant to be used for God. Something where you find your satisfaction in God and your brain gets conditioned to finding satisfaction in God. They've abused that and used it to false gods. Okay, so what, how do you get free? Sorry, this is going on a bit long, folks. Sorry, this is hardcore stuff. But I want you to be free. So I want you to not, don't lose concentration. What I'm going to share now is so important. That's the facts and figures. I want you now to be free people. So here's my advice to get you free. And this works. This is, again, this is what we see working in people's lives in this church. First of all, to unmarried people, step number one, find your delight in the Lord. That is more important than I could ever stress. See, Stoics and Buddhists will tell you, it's a quote from Buddha, what is the root of evil? Desire is the root of evil, says Buddha. So he says that desire is a bad thing. Do away with desire. But that's not God's solution, that's Buddha's solution. In Islam, how do they deal with the desire? How do they deal with the lust? Here's a quote from the Quran. Tell your wives and your daughters and the believing women to draw up their outer garments around them so that they will not, when they go out among women, sorry, among men. In other words, wrap up, cover the beauty that God created. Now, I think there's a bit of wisdom in that, but that is not a solution. Here instead is how our creator, Jesus Christ, the savior of the world, addressed lust and the wrong desires. He ended up in a place called Samaria, beside a well where there was a woman. And he got into conversation with this Samaritan woman and he said to her, he brought a word of knowledge to her, and he said, do you know that you've been married to five men, and the man you're currently with is not your husband's? And she was blown away that he would know this about her. But he deliberately revealed that fact because he wanted to address the deeper issues of her life. She was trying to find satisfaction in being with one man after another. And Jesus knew that you're not going to find your satisfaction there. And he used the well that they were standing beside as an illustration. And here's what he said to her. He said in John 4, Jesus answered, anyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. And I guess he was using that as an analogy for how she was living. You're just going with one guy after another. You're looking for this ultimate satisfaction. You're not finding it in men. Anyone who drinks this water will, never, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never thirst again. The water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He was saying to her, You've been looking for your ultimate satisfaction in one man after another. The kind of level of satisfaction you're looking for can only be found in God. And did you know that? People created in the image of God, you are so incredible in your creational order. You are so incredible in the way you've been wired. You are so incredible that nothing less than God 
can satisfy the scale of desires that are in you. That's how incredible you are. And yet what we try to do is we try and fulfill those desires in secondary things and they never satisfy. And this is what this woman in the well was doing. And Jesus was saying to her, no, no, you need to come to me and you will find ultimate satisfaction in me. And that's the same answer to you, actually, whether you're single or whether you're married. Augustine put it this way, that sin is looking for the right thing in the wrong place. And that's what sin always does. A quote from Pam Ovigo from the Center of Biblical Engagement. She said this, research has shown that engaging with Scripture most days of the week, i.e. more than four days a week, decreases the chances of someone viewing pornography by 59%. Isn't that amazing? That finding your delight in God, not just reading verses, but finding your delight in God, letting those verses impact you, transforms you to the point where it gives you the satisfaction so you don't go looking elsewhere. The problem is idolatry. The solution is worshiping the true God, really worshiping. I don't mean being religious. I mean having a connection with God. That satisfies. Step number two, single people, do not awaken your sex drive. Song of Solomon 2, 7, and he repeats it again in 8, 4. Promise me, do not awaken love until the time is right. In other words, before you make a neural pathway, before you start a path in your brain, make sure that there's a legitimate way for that path to be outworked. Before you get that sex thing going in your life, make sure it's in the context that is a safe, God-glorifying context, i.e. marriage. Okay, advice to married people. Same advice. Delight in the Lord as above, as I just talked about. It's the same advice. Because I have to tell you, and this, I'll give you advice about sex in a minute. But if you, find, if you think, okay, marriage, that's great. Phew, I don't need to delight in the Lord anymore. I've got my sexual satisfaction here. You're going to be in trouble. She's going to be in trouble. He's going to be in trouble because they can never bear that load. You can only find the scale of satisfaction you're looking for in God. So point number one to married people is find your delight in the Lord as a married person. Don't now find your delight or fulfillment in this marriage. Find it in God always. And secondly, number two, delight in your spouse. Proverbs 5, 18. Solomon describes how you should delight in your wife. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth. doesn't mean she's still young. It just means you got married to her when you were young. A loving doe and a graceful deer. May her breasts satisfy you always. Say amen. No, that's tame. May you be ever intoxicated. That's almost addiction language, that. May you be ever intoxicated. In fact, in the Hebrew, it's the same word used later on in Proverbs to describe alcohol addiction. May you be ever intoxicated with her love. And then he goes on to contrast it. Why, my son, be intoxicated by another man's wife and embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? In other words, don't find your satisfaction outside of marriage. And that might not be even going outside. It might just be in your head with lust or with pornography. Find your satisfaction, be intoxicated in the love that's in that marriage. AOL conducted a study of 60,000 fathers. 79% of them said they wanted more sex. Doesn't that surprise you guys? 60% regularly admitted viewing pornography. 40% said that their sexual advances were rejected at least once a week. The correlation is strong that when sex isn't regular in marriage, then it creates a void that God never intended to be there. It was meant to be that within the context of marriage, sex was meant to be a regular thing. And it's not that you start using each other, but it's that you, in a loving way, find an expression for that God-given sex drive that he gave you in the first place. So here's what Apostle Paul says, 1 Corinthians 7, 5. Do not deprive each other. Married couples, listen to me. Husbands and wives, listen to me. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent for a time that you may devote yourself to prayer and then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Paul is saying, if you are married, have regular awesome sex in that marriage. Do not deny each other, Paul says. And if you do, Paul, I mean, it's rare for Paul to say this, but this is one of the rare occasions, one of two, where Paul would say that if you don't do that, you are giving Satan a foothold. 
The other one is in anger. Do not be angry. Okay? Here we have the not enough sex in a marriage gives Satan an opportunity to undermine a marriage. So husbands and wives, in loving, creative ways, make sex a regular part of your marriage. I don't want to say what regular means because regular is different for everyone. Don't compare yourself with others. Don't look at what average looks like. Don't read the stats on that because I don't know where they get them from. I'm just telling you, have regular sex in your marriage. Next person is the addicted person. And you might have never, ever have acknowledged that you were addicted. But that in itself is an indicator that you're addicted. (laughs) It is the hardest thing for someone who's addicted to acknowledge they're addicted. But here's how you get free if you're addicted. And I put these steps also. They're going to be in this week's weekly email. And they're going to be on the Facebook. Um, And I want you to follow through, as Jude said, with the pastoral team. Step number one, if you're addicted, you need to deal with the fruit. Say fruit with accountability. How do you be accountable? First of all, you need to confess your pornography addiction to another person. Expose the darkness. Now, here's the fear you've got in your head. If I ever told anyone what was going on behind the scenes in my life, they would instantly reject me. That's the fear you've got. And because of that fear, people are not honest and open. So I'm just saying to you, it's time for for your sake. You're in a safe environment in church. Expose that issue in your life, come and talk to one of the pastoral team, make an appointment, phone up and make an appointment with one of the pastoral team. If you're a guy, meet with one of the guy pastors. If you're a girl, meet with one of the girl pastors. Or go and talk to your small group leader. James 5 verse 16, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Typically, we say confess your sins to God. But when it comes to healing from addiction, you need to also confess it other human beings that God has placed in your life. Secondly, cut off the sin and restrict your behavior. In other words, that animal in the inside, you need to starve that animal. Stop feeding it. Starve the animal. So you cut off the sin and restrict your behavior. Jesus put it this way. I mean, he was ruthless. He said, Matthew 5, 30, if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. I mean, he's saying, listen, do not tolerate anything that's in your life that's causing you to stumble. So here's what it means. On your internet, install internet accountability software. I would recommend covenanteyes.com. Go there. You can download software. You might have a, a kind of small monthly fee to pay, but it is worth it. All of the church staff have this on the computers. That's par for the course on being in church staff. You can't be in church staff unless this is on your computer because we want to preempt any issues. So I would urge you all, I have this on my computer, have it in your computer. Have someone who you've confessed to monitoring what you're looking at every day. If you have a smartphone or a tablet and that's been a source of problems for you, I mean, I'm telling you, cut it off. Literally, get rid of your smartphone or tablet if necessary. What, my iPhone 6? Yes. Even your iPhone 6. Cast the idol away from you. But especially if it's a Galaxy or a Samsung or a non-Apple products. You absolutely need to get rid of that. That's a whole other sermon, but you need to believe me in that. Okay. So I'm serious. For the sake of your soul and for the sake of holiness, throw away or get someone to put restrictions on your device. I know you can do this on on an Apple device. Get your accountability person to put a pin code restriction on it. Only they know the pin codes. And they switch off all your web surfing or your installing apps or all the things that cause you issues. C, ongoing accountability. You now need to, not just that initial confession, but you now need to on a regular basis, daily at first maybe, make the phone call, send a text message. Here's how I'm doing. Make it strong. You've got to make it work for you. But whatever happens, get free. So deal with the fruit by accountability. Number two, <clears throat> deal with the roots with truth. You see, you can't cure an addiction by restricting your behavior, getting good disciplines in your life, and accountability. You can't do that. That would be like trying to deal with the pain by taking paracetamol. It only deals with the symptoms. You need to deal with the root issue. And here's how you deal with the root issue. Jesus said in John 8, 32, you will know, help me read it, one, two, three, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Truth 
You've believed lies. You need to replace it with the truth. You've worshipped idols. You need to replace it with the true gods. This is how you come free. So here's a course I want to recommend for you. It's free. It's a 60-day, two-month Bible study. It will take you between 30 and th- 20 and 30 minutes a day studying selected passages of the Bible. And every day when you do your Bible study, you will submit it, and it will go to an accountability partner, someone probably from the church that you've selected, but also there will be an online mentor who will comment on your progress. This is important. We recommend this course all the time to people. I, I have a regular email coming in from one guy currently in the church who now has been two months completely free from a pornography addiction. It used to be every day of his life since he was 12, every day of his life, he was hooked on pornography. And now he's been two months free going through this course. So settingcaptivesfree.com is where you find the course. It's a free course they offer, actually for lots of different types of addictions, but especially pornography addictions. Parents, listen to me, parents. Do not be naive. Here's Here's two statistics. The average first age sorry, age of first exposure to online pornography is eight years old. The number one consumer of online porn are boys between 12 and 17 years of age. That's the age where you're forming your ideas, forming your values, deciding how you're going to treat people. That's where it will define what kind of life they're going to live, how they're going to treat women, how they're going to date, how they're going to treat their wives. And it's, it's consuming and destroying a generation. It didn't used to be the issue it is today to the same degree. It is a massive issue today. Parents, I appeal to you, wake up and smell the coffee and be ruthless when it comes to this stuff. Do not assume everything is right. So how do you protect your kids? Okay, don't just have the talk. Have the talks. Talk about this regular. Don't just tell them what's wrong with sex. Don't quote the bad bits of the Bible uh, condemning sex and apply it to sex. Warn them against the bad, but also celebrate with them the good. Let them know that those desires they've got are going to find a fulfillment and outworking in marriage. Let them know these things, but tell them to keep those desires under wrap no matter what their friends do. And here's the problem, right? Don't don't let them have a television in their rooms. Don't let them take their, their iPhones or tablets into their bedrooms. That's disastrous. Or at least put strong accountability in place on all devices. Have your family computer in a public room, not in a a cupboard somewhere. Here's the other thing. You could do everything you can to protect them in your house. But you don't know what mates they're going to. You don't know what they're looking at at friends' houses. And this is where you need to operate in discernment. Maybe have their mates at your house for a sleepover. You know, make your house a cool place where the mates can come and hang out. Make it a fun place for friends to come have meals for them. We do this all the time with our kids. We make our place the funnest place for them to bring their friends. So often the friends will come to our place rather than going elsewhere. And there has been times where we have felt a caution in our hearts about my kid going to that kid's house. And I've, I've spoken openly or we've not let them go. So you do not be naive. In conclusion, Solomon was the result of David and Bathsheba having an adulterous affair. God turned it for the good. In their family line, one was born who was Jesus Christ. Jesus, who is the Savior of the world, died on the cross. And in that moment, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on your behalf so that you could become the righteousness of God in him. In other words, all your sin, all your regret, he died to take. And in exchange, he gives you his righteousness. That is your salvation. No matter what you have done today, you can be cleansed and forgiven. And not just forgiven, but declared righteous before a holy God. Isn't that good news? And then you can join on your knees alongside people like King David. And you can pray with King David, Psalm 51. He says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Pray that with me. One, two, three. Close your eyes. Pray with me. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Pray again. Close your eyes. 
Fix your attention on God. Pray it with me. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Lord Jesus, we've talked about really hard things today. I know, God, you are heartbroken over the devastation that you see sex is causing and and misuse of sex is causing and pornography is causing all around our city, our world, and maybe in our lives. I ask you, God, in the name of Jesus, that we will be a church that would walk with integrity and freedom, that in marriage, sex would be awesome, that in singleness, satisfaction would be deep, that in addiction, our people will be set free. God, I pray for anyone today who maybe is at church for the first time. I pray, God, I I feel for them today, Lord. It's probably not the best first Sunday at church. But I pray, especially for those who don't know you, God, that today, instead of being pushed away from you, they'd be drawn to you, God, the true God, the creator. I pray they would worship you, the creator, rather than the creation. Okay, in his presence, I just want you just to take a time just to pray and make your own response to God. I'm sure there's many prayers need to be prayed just now, so just do that in his presence. Each one of you pray your prayers to God. Expose your darkness. Come before this grace-giving God. While you're doing that, there might be a few here today who've never trusted Jesus to be their Savior. They've never experienced that complete forgiveness that only Jesus can offer. Just now, I want to help you connect with Him. Just wherever you are, wherever you're sitting, I want to help you find God in your life. So here's what we're going to do. I invite you to pray a prayer with me. I'm going to say the words one line at a time, and I invite you just to repeat this prayer under your breath to God. And let this be your heart's cry to Him. Pray, dear Lord God, thank you for your love for me. Jesus, thank you. You died on the cross and rose again in order to deal with the sin that's in my life and in order to reconnect me with God. Today, I put my trust in you. Today, I turn my life over to you. Jesus, today, I become your follower. Be Lord of my life forever. Thank you for hearing my prayer. If you're here today, today, this has nothing to do with whether you've got a sex issue or not. This is just purely, today, have you decided to follow Jesus? If that's you today, and today you've decided to follow Jesus, I'd love to pray for you. In order to know who I'm praying for, just ask you to raise your hand real quickly. Pop up nice and clear. Anyone like that today? Today you're deciding, today I decide to follow Jesus. And put your hand up nice and clear. It's a big decision. It's the biggest decision. And yet it's the best decision. pray for my dear friend and anyone else who today has prayed that prayer. Thank you for your love. Thank you. You've heard their prayer. Thank you. You've accepted them. In Jesus' name, give strength to us all, Lord, as we follow you in the midst of the desires that war in our flesh and the desires that war in the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.